Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with The following program is being brought to you on the 7th Wave Network. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit 7thWaveNetwork.com. Welcome. You've entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simran Singh. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Learn to empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simran Singh. I hope that your summer is well underway and that you are in the essence of love, that of self-love and exploring love and allowing love and being in love. And if you are in that space where you would desire a more nurturing foundation for all of your relationships, you're going to love this show and you're going to absolutely love my guests. If you're experiencing any pain in your relationship, you're also going to find some information that's very valuable here. And if you're looking for an intimate partner, then the book that we're going to discuss will open you further to that experience. Succulent Wild Love is a spectacularly guided path to experiencing more love and then having the skills to keep creating and expanding that. It's a new philosophy of love and relationships for everyone. So let me first introduce you to Sark, Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy. If you have read any of her 16 books, you'll know that they're full of color. They're handwritten expressions of herself, loving, creative, very real life. Sark books are intimate and journal-like, filled with her art and vulnerable sharing. She creates them to be personal and universal, whimsical, fresh, deep, and funny, and ultimately for everyone. She's written about her experiences with sexuality, her explorations in most realms of life, and the one subject she had not written about yet was love. And she, along with the late Dr. John Waddell, created Succulent Wild Love, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. It is a beautiful book that will deeply take you into many places. And it's a book that you can read directly from beginning to end, or you can open it up wherever it is that you are. And she even gives you a a content table to direct you as to whether you're someone single, someone that's just falling out of a relationship, someone that's been in pain, or someone that's fully open to having succulent wild love. She will direct you to the chapters. So without further ado, I want to welcome Sark back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome. Oh, thank you so much. And it's so funny, every time I hear now late Dr. John Waddell, I have to laugh because he was never late. And so I'm always thinking, why is he being described as late? And of Mm. course, that is because he has physically departed um, on March 5th of this year. He left his body and went to be an unconditional love master um, beyond the physical. So, uh, or as some would say, he died. <laughs> well, and I'm thrilled that, that this creation came through and that, that you both married your, your powerful habits together in this way that you could share this beautiful work with the world and it allows his essence to, to remain here in the essence of love that he is. So as we dive yeah. into this, yeah, Can I mean, you really also, talk about what succulent wild love 
really means? What is that? I mean, that sounds juicy. It sounds beautiful. (laughs) It sounds passionate. What is that? Because I don't know that everyone really even has a a scope as to what that could feel like. Absolutely. And and, um, in answer, and also I wanted to say that that the nine months that John was was ill, um, which we didn't know was terminally ill, um, we used the six powerful habits to live fully and deeply and richly and in love with each other all the way through until he died in my mm. arms. Mm. So, you know, and someone asked me, how can you be doing so well um, during this experience and even after? And I said, well, honestly, it's because of succulent wild love. And then, of course, they said, what's that? <laughs> Um, basically, a succulent is a plant that nourishes itself from the inside. It, it gives itself its nutrients, everything it needs, it gathers from the environment and gives to itself. So in that way, we all have the opportunity to be like a succulent and nourish ourselves from the inside. Uh, and then, of course, wild is, is untamed and you know, being who we really are and not who we think we have to conform to be to be loved. And that was the relationship that I both had and have um, with John, and in the sense that I had it for three and a half years with him, and we were engaged to be married, and then we're, we're very shocked by this uh, sudden diagnosis, which, uh, by the way, happened right after we turned the book in. So, wow. you know, yeah, and some would say, you know, and I thought we should put the book on hold, and John said, absolutely not. And I'm so glad because he did get to do interviews and participate and see the book in the world. And for those people listening who understand that love goes on and people's spirits go on, he is mentoring and teaching and writing from beyond the physical. Well, what I think is so beautiful is all of your books are wonderful. I I have definitely partaken in many of your books and and particularly for you to have written a book in the past that was based on self-love. And then to come to this place where you truly invited into your own life succulent self-love, succulent love, this is an illustration that the principles in this book really do bring that in. It's not just theory that's being written. This is something that you actually lived. Yes, good point. I'm so glad you said that because John would want everyone to know, and I'm going to say now, that it's a very practical book. Um, <laughs> And it was made so also, you know, through his co-authorship, he, he was a very logical, practical man, as well as a philosopher, a psychologist, and a metaphysical teacher. And the book, as you know, was written in, in our voices. Um, when, it's, when it's him talking, it's one typeset, and when it's me, it's handwritten. And then there's a third voice, which is, the, is a, really a blend of the two of us. And so it's really quite unique. It, it's like... Um, you know, a, a, a beautiful conversation about love and life with um, really two wise teachers. I mean, we both, you know, between us had a combination of about 80 years of work. One of the foundational points I think is it's very pronounced throughout the book is it's not about finding the right partner. It is about becoming the right partner. Speak a little bit more to that. Oh, exactly. You know, I used to think before I met John that I had to find the right partner. I mean, it's common. Like, you know, how can we not think that? Well, who's going to fit with me? And, you know, how's this ever going to work? And I'm very unusual or I'm whatever. And I, um, 
began to realize that the self-love practices that I had been teaching and using for, you know, decades were involved in me becoming the partner that I wanted to find. I mean, if I wanted to find someone loving and, and consistent and loyal and kind, I needed to be that. Otherwise, that person, you know, wouldn't even, I wouldn't even recognize that person. <clears throat> Excuse me. Or, or they me. And so I dedicated myself um, to getting ready for a partner by becoming the partner that I wanted. And I had fully become that partner and then thought that it would, you know, well, now it'll probably never work. <laughs> I mean, I'm, <laughs> I was pretty scared of love. I mean, so I want everyone listening, you know, not everyone was as scared, as lo- scared of love as I was. And so, you know, I wrote in the book all about my fears of love and how much I resisted love and blocked love. And I, and I want to be clear, this was love with a romantic partner. Um, I was not scared of love of the world or of myself, but I was very scared of romantic love. And um, as you said, John and I married, I, I brought my three core teachings that I had been teaching and practicing in my life for decades, I brought those to him, and he brought his three core teachings to me, and we married those together into these, the subtitle is Six Powerful Habits to Feel More Love More Often. You said something very profound, and it was that you, you had this fear of, of intimate relationships, and I think that's more common than people realize, and it can be as common even when you're in a relationship, not just as single I'd like oh, to read a passage yes, that you... Yes, because like love brings up everything unlike itself. That's the part we have to remember. Love brings up everything unlike itself. So, meaning, if you're in relationship, you can start to feel very unloving, um, especially if you, if you don't have some habits like the ones we're bringing forward in this book, because you will, you will just start to dismantle, you'll start to question love, you will start to be afraid of love. I mean, it's, and you're right, it is much more common than people realize. In fact, I would, I would say it's, you know, a little bit almost shocking how many people are afraid of love. There's a passage that you wrote that's really intimate and vulnerable, uh, and it reads, I realized as long as I felt ambivalent, the partners I drew in felt the same and they reflected my own ambivalence and uncertainties about love back to me. I now know that the only way I let love with another person in was to begin by truly understanding how to love myself, and not just when things felt good, but especially when I was at my worst. My experiences with unconditionally loving myself led directly to letting in a great love with another person. Being able to love oneself at their worst and being able to accept that and still be open to, to feeling love or feeling capable of being loved by another at your worst, that's a pretty big hurdle a lot of people have to cross. What do you do with that worst part of ourselves? Oh, my goodness, yes. Thank you for bringing that forward. Um, I was listening thinking, I need to read that again <laughs> for me. <laughs> uh, um, yeah, I mean, people think self-love is, you know, feeling good when you look in the mirror or thinking that you're doing well at your job or, you know, all these kinds of things. And those, those are wonderful things. But, you know, to love yourself when, when you literally are at your worst over and over, because we're not at our worst just once or twice, we're at our worst, you know, repeatedly. And so 
you know, when you feel at your most um, unattractive, when you feel hopeless, when you feel in despair, who's loving you then? And you cannot look to another to love you then if you are not loving yourself. And so, again, so, you know, I've, the, the six powerful habits, one of the big ones that I brought forward um, is, is what I call an, um, a feelings, inner feelings care system. So it's really a way for people to deal with their own feelings first so they're not bringing, uh, you know, just a clump of feelings to their partner and, and just saying, here, here's all these feelings I feel. And then the partner will usually you know, run in horror. <laughs> or if they don't, they, they stand there and listen to unprocessed feelings and get really upset. And then both people are upset, and then there's usually a fight. Mm-hmm. And, and so when people are tending, when they have a system to care for their own feelings, what that results in is you care for your own feelings first, and then you bring your feelings to your partner and discuss them, it's an entirely different conversation and experience. And when a statement that you wrote in that section was that it takes skill and practice to feel love more often. And, and so often we get in our heads and can say the words, I love you, or can think that we are loving someone, but it's much more integrated than that. Yes, and, and, it's, much, and it's also much bumpier and subject to all sorts of, um, let's call them challenges. You know, it's not easy to love someone when they're annoying and when, they're stu- when they seem stupid and when they're not doing things we want them to do. <laughs> it's like, you know, it's easy, it's easy to love someone when they seem lovable and it's, it's much more challenging to love people when, when, they're, when, they're, not, when they're not acting lovable. But again, if, if you have the skills and you've been practicing with your own inner feelings care system, you're able to love yourself during those times, and so you're then able to give, extend that love to another. One of the practices, and you have practices at the end of each chapter, but the one that was particularly powerful in that section had to do with release and relief. And you talk about doing release and relief for five minutes a day and allowing ourselves to really feel those feelings that we, we don't. And we live in a world, I mean, we can look at the world as it is right now. We can look at violence erupting. We can look at things that are happening. And, and, and to me, that's so much that's been suppressed that just bursts forth rather than us taking the time to do this kind of practice. We're really getting in touch with our own feelings. Yes, and I'm so glad you spoke about um, <clears throat> release and relief. I, I will also add express. Um, because if you're not expressing your feelings in some way, they are going to erupt. I mean, the violence that we're seeing in the world now is not because the world's gone wrong. It's because it's get, these things are becoming uncovered. And, you know, so when, when individuals can practice with a system, with an emotional system like an inner feelings care system, it, it's profound. It causes profound change in the society. So if you're wondering what you can do about what's, you know, going on currently, um, you can get this book or you can read about this process and you can begin to practice having your emo- own emotional care system and you will, you will be able to do far more 
you know, with other people and with the world when your feelings are being tended and managed lovingly by you. And let's tell everyone right now, I I described this process, but I can give everyone right now a five-second feelings care system that will help a great deal. And that is, as soon as you become aware of any negative feeling, you know, and I I use negative very loosely because I don't actually believe they're negative, but, you know, an upsetting feeling, let's call it, let's say sadness or anger, let's say anger, Um, you become aware of anger and often we're in our lives, we're busy, we're driving the kids to school, we're going to work, we're, you know, doing these things and it doesn't feel like we have the time to handle feelings. Like who has the time to sit there and listen to anger? Um, So this is a five-second method where you're driving in the car, you can or you're walking, whatever you're doing, as soon as you become aware of anger, you, you simply say out loud, or if you're, if you're with other people, you can say it under your breath, anger, I see you, I hear you, I acknowledge you. And this sounds so simple, but so many of the best things are simple. So when you say this, it's like anger's, if you can imagine anger has little shoulders, the shoulders will come down, anger can soften and change shape because it knows that you are aware of it. If you try to resist and block it and say, I don't have time now for anger, anger gets louder and larger. And louder and larger turns into you yelling at the driver in front of you or being angry and crabby with your child or whatever it is. So this this has an immense effect, and it's extremely simple, and it's free, and it's available for everyone right now. Oh, thank you, Susan. I so appreciate you sharing that process, and it's more important than ever. We can definitely step into succulent wild love with this book, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. And once you invite that love into your life, you can also imagine this as being succulent world love because this is definitely a guide for us creating more love in the world as well. Wow, so I've made a career out of sharing thank her personal you. journal-like writings and art and inspiring others with her vulnerable and honest journeys towards self-acceptance. She has helped her legions of fans craft lives with, filled with joy, creativity, and self-love, and she even married herself in a statement of self-liberation described in Succulent Wild Woman. And yet Sark had one big secret wish, overcoming her fears to commit to an intimate life partnership. So she embarked on a covert love operation, and after much soul-shaping, it culminated in her meeting psychologist and spiritual teacher Dr. John Waddell and discovering Succulent Wild Love. Through this book, they teach and mentor together using the principles, six powerful habits that can transform any relationship or open you to create the partnership you want. You can find out more at planetsark.com. That's planetsark.com. You can also find out about events and other books by Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy when you go to that website. We'll be right back with Sark. Welcome. You have entered the realm of 1111 Talk Radio. Your host is Simron. It's time to discover your own language with the universe. Empower yourself, broaden your mind, open your heart, and discover who you are. Now, here's your host, Simron. Have you seen 1111? 
Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at imsimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. My guest today is Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, also known as Sark, and we are discussing a new philosophy of love and relationships for everyone. The book is entitled Succulent Wild Love, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often, and it is by Sark and Dr. John Waddell. You can find out more about this book and about Sark at the website planetsark.com. I'd like to share with you another passage from the book. When I embarked on the whole journey of loving myself, even marrying myself and writing about it, I didn't quite realize that becoming my own soulmate was not the same as being one. Becoming one was my entry decision point. Being my own soulmate involved truly being with myself through every mood and feeling, deeply living daily life with myself and being that soulmate person who I had thought I wanted to find. Meeting and loving my own soul first before being with another person. I practiced romancing myself, slow dancing after dinner in my living room, writing love notes to myself on my window shade. I explored my shadows and my dark thoughts and learned how to love myself even when I couldn't stand myself. Being my own soulmate showed me that I had the capacity to love myself deeply, to romance myself, to listen to and love myself no matter what. That is so powerful. I know I had this own experience after um, experiencing trauma. I realized that I had to go into being my own soulmate, and I wrote a book called Your Journey to Love, Discovering Your Your True Soulmate, which is ourselves. So when you discovered that for yourself, um, what was the real distinction between becoming a soulmate and being one? What was the greatest distinction that you found? I think acceptance and allowing... um I think acceptance is probably the biggest word that comes to me um, because I was busy trying to get out there and, and find one, <laughs> as so many people do, like, you know, find your soulmate. And meanwhile, I was skipping over a huge piece of work, which was, you know, becoming my own and really being my own soulmate, which which required a lot of... Um, a lot of soul searching and a lot of soul shaping and a lot of applying these six habits, you know, to myself, because how was I going to extend them? Now, I just want to say some people can do this work uh, with another person. So in other words, they can continue their self-love work while in relationship. Uh, I was not really one of those people. I I had to do the the, the self-love work with myself by myself. Um, but I, I don't believe that's always the case, but that was the case for me. I had just a lot of fears and a lot of, you know, there was just, I needed the single, I needed the solo focus. Um, but yeah, just 
really um, accepting the parts that I don't like, all the shadow work, you know, all the, you know, we talk about the light and then we forget to talk about the shadow and they go together like bird wings. I mean, we need that, that darkness to grow and then we need that light to flourish and we need them both all the time. We need them moving back and forth in us. I totally agree. I, I found that, that to me the shadow and the light are lover and beloved in itself that are meant to, to merge. And I had to do that work by myself as well. And what I did, did discover was that I was initially more in love with the idea of relationship or the idea of love than really understanding what love or relationship was anyway. And so oh. I think that's a big hurdle for a lot of people. Talk a oh. little bit about that, Susan. Oh, yeah. Simran, that is beautifully said. I mean, my, bro- my younger brother, who I'm very close to, said that, and I believe I wrote it in the book. He said, uh, you're in love with the idea of a person. He said, a real person would likely horrify you. <laughs> 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 and it was true. And um, I used to, for at least the first year of our relationship, I would turn to John and say, how did you get in? How did you get in here? <laughs> mm. I didn't know how he made it past all the barricades, you know, that I had. And I couldn't figure out how he'd really gotten in because it was very unusual. We met on a cruise ship and we knew within a day, I knew in a day that I would marry him. And mm. he moved across the country to move in with me a month later. So it wow. was almost an arranged marriage. And I'm telling you, without these six habits, it never would have worked. I had lived alone for 25 years, and I would have eliminated him so fast. Um, but, you know, this, this self-love work that I had done and his powerful habits that he brought to me uh, allowed us to, I mean, I've never had a better experience in my life. The three and a half years were the happiest years and the love that I learned will make the rest of my years, you know, even happier. Mm-hmm. There, there are some common complaints that, that we have to undermine relationships, and you talk about the two most common. Would you relay those and, and talk about how we can get outside of the mental processes of that kind of thinking? Oh, good heavens, I can't remember which common complaints. Can you tell me what, uh, this is one of those things, like, what did I say? <laughs> I know. When I write a book, I have to go back and reread my own book because there's so much that comes out of it. Uh, it, it had to do with um, partially always thinking that the person is, it was more around expectation and believing that the person was going to be something and, and always finding something wrong. Oh, yes, yes. This was my specialty. I I used to have a list about every um, lover and, and partner that I had prior to John. I would have a list, and my brother, again, the same younger brother, would, uh, he'd hear about the new love, and he'd say, how many, how many list items does this guy have? Or how many items do you have on this guy? And I'd say, oh, there's only three. You know, <laughs> just three things that he could change so that our relationship would be better. <laughs> And, of course, it really was me that needed to change. You know, it, I had this idea that if only someone else would change some things, then, then our relationship would just be better. And that could be true. It's not that we don't have preferences. It's not that we don't want things our way. We do. Um, but the fact is you can't change another person. And this, this was nearly incomprehensible to me. I thought you should and could change another person. <laughs> And 
which is hilarious when I think about it because I could barely change myself. How could I think that I could change another person? Um, but all I could imagine was if they were different, then I would feel better. And this is a common complaint, and people repeatedly keep doing this one. And if you were going to say one thing that causes divorces, that would be it. Um, because people just relentlessly want their way. And so I just want to say one of the six powerful habits that John brought to my life was he offered, he said to me, I'm offering you a no compromise relationship. And I said, well, that's mm. good because I've never compromised well. <laughs> and, and I said, but what are we going to do instead? He said, we're going to create joyful solutions. And I really like the name of that. And I said, well, what are those and do they work? And he said, yes, it's, we're going to create together a joyful solution that works for both of us that's better than what either one of us would have thought up on our own. And it isn't that there's anything inherently wrong with compromise. It just stops short. And it, it really is, um, compromise is based on scarcity. It's based mm-hmm. on everybody has to give up a little bit in order to make it work. And there's something much more exciting, which is these joyful solutions. And I can tell you, I w- I'm the most stubborn, I'm often the most stubborn, resistant, skeptical person. I know that sounds funny, but it's true. And I just thought, how are these even going to work? And I'm telling you, you heard me say, he moved into my home of 25 years alone, and we didn't have a single problem because of joyful solutions. So these are market tested by me. Wow. There, there are a few things that I think come up with what you just shared. And, and number one is about change, trying to change other people, because that obviously is the foundation for codependence. That's the doorway in, which is probably why so many relationships end, because we are trying to change someone else. And then to turn around and say, rather than compromise, which feels so depleting and so exhausting and so devaluing and dishonoring, to go into a place of joyful solution, which feels fulfilling and, and just enlightening even. It, it, it just seems to, to be like a balloon that just goes up into the sky. So I love that. Exactly, exactly. And it's, um, you said it, it's also fun. I mean, that's the other part. It's fun. You know, you take these sticky issues and you can have them be fun. I mean, there's such a freedom in that. I mean, I've, it's changed my whole life because now I use them with my neighbors and my friends and in my business. And it's not just for romantic love. It, it's, it's joyful solutions are, the, they, you know, I intend for them to spread worldwide in every situation, including politics. Mm, I love that. I love that. One of the principles that uh, John speaks of is, is being the perfect match. And we have this idea that perfection doesn't really exist in human, but yet we look for this perfection in relationships. What's the distinction here about the perfect match that you're trying to bring forward rather than yeah. what, our, what we've been kind of shown in the past? Yes, and I think it's more than a perfect match. It was, it's even further. He talks about um, uh, being perfect. And so let's really emphasize what that means because, of course, no one's perfect. And, and everyone will say that, you know, oh, I'm not perfect and no one's perfect. Um, what we mean, what we're meaning here is perfect. It, it, it's the, so the definition is um, 
it means that you don't judge them or see people as flawed in any way. Um, so John told me immediately that I was perfect. And so, of course, I said, well, what does that mean? And he said, um, I promise to see you as perfect in any way that I don't um, is my responsibility. And I wow. thought that sounded great until I realized he expected me to see him as perfect. And that's where my mm. making came up because I thought, oh, my God, I'm not going to be able to see him as perfect. You know, <laughs> he's going to have... And it, again, it, it doesn't mean that we don't have preferences. It doesn't mean that people don't have flaws. They do. People are what I call splendidly imperfect. But in their, in their inherent wholeness, like we were all born perfect, and we really are perfectly ourselves. And so in that perfection, you, that's where you find the unconditional love. And that's what John was a master of, unconditional love and Wow, I mean, and now that he's beyond the physical, he's even better. Mm-hmm. The the deceptive intelligence or the ego is part of us that kind of wants to see people less than perfect or, or come up with that criticism or come up with whatever it is that we want to say. But isn't that the past baggage that we're actually carrying forward or the expectations or um, family, our, our past family that we're actually projecting? Yes, that absolutely. And also I think it's fear of love. I mean, I think that when we love, we're we're in a love vibration. We see love. We are love. We extend love. And when I loved that you describe it as deceptive intelligence because when we see things that we don't like, we we can get critical, we can be judgmental, we can we basically step away from love. And, you know, that's, that's just something we all do. But we, we can have the, the wisdom and the um, knowledge and the skill to apply love to ourselves in and, and, and such times and then as much love as we can to others. Now, it isn't always possible. Sometimes you can extend love, and it's better just to, to separate and be away from that person. Um, and, and sometimes that's the most loving thing you can do. It, you know, we, we think sometimes we have to stay there and love, we have to look something right in the face that we hate and feel love. And that's just not possible. I mean, none of us, you know, you, you really have to be uh, extremely enlightened to be able to do that. And most of us are not. We're practicing. We're, we're human beings and we're practicing. And we were taught, that love was something different than it is. I, I know there's a paragraph that you had in the beginning of the book under the section that says, what does it feel like to love? And you start off by saying, have you ever seen an angry mother yell at a child? But I love you. Have you heard a frustrated lover who isn't getting what they want say, but I love you, or someone scream at their partner during an argument, don't you know I love you? And so here we have this one type of emotion coming at people, and yet we're using the words I love you at the same time and that sends mixed signals and mixed messages as to not only how to receive love, but how to express love. Exactly. Well said. My guest today is Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, also known as Sark, and we are discussing the book Succulent Wild Love, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. She, within the book, she has many different stories by different people. Valerie Tate says, Connection is different from the state of love. It is the unique fabric that exists between individuals. This fabric can never be broken, and its experience and qualities are like a snowflake co-created between souls. I notice this most readily with friends I have not spoken to in years when we connect. 
the fabric feels the same even when the circumstances or desires for relating have changed. An irreplaceable, inarguable essence exists between us. And the last aspect of the triad is relationship. Relationship is the form that we take on with one another, whether it is as lovers, as friends, as co-workers, in one-time meeting, etc. This form can change slightly over time in terms of how we relate to one another, or in some cases shift completely from that of lovers to friends or no relationship. Relational work needs to be done, and it has nothing to do with the impenetrable state of connection. This is from the book, Succulent Wild Love. You can find out more about Sark at planetsark.com. We'll be right back after these messages. The 7th Wave Channel on The Voice America Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Have you seen 1111? Do you wonder why certain numbers keep showing up in your life? 11, 111, 22, 33, 444. People all over the world are seeing 1111 and learning the language of universal communication. Subscribe to 1111 Magazine today. 1111mag.com 1111 Magazine is a bi-monthly online publication that offers a rich, multi-sensory experience. Engage with experts in topics of consciousness. Become enlightened, empowered, and energized so you live a passionate and authentic life of conscious choices. 1111 Magazine, a daily staple for lifting the mindset, expanding the heart, and experiencing greater aliveness. 1111 Magazine, Order now at www.1111mag.com, 1111mag.com. This is the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. You are listening to 1111 Talk Radio. Simron is an award-winning author, publisher of 1111 Magazine, powerful speaker of wisdom, and a life mentor. Find out more at IamSimron.com. Now, back to 1111 Talk Radio. Welcome back. My guest today is Sark, Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy, and her book is Succulent Wild Love, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often with co-author Dr. John Waddell. This is really true heart nourishment, and it is being delivered by master teachers, allowing you to dive into their conversations, their voices, and their creativity, while also bringing in the wisdom and experience that they each bring. And then a third voice emerges, the marriage of the two, which resulted in this beautiful creation. I invite you to partake in it, and what you will discover is not only intimacy and vulnerability, but you will find a creative way to dive into 
your own inner world and life of relationships through the many processes and stories that are placed within it. One of my favorites happens to be a story by Ariel Ford and Brian Hilliard, and they talk about um, being in an argument and Ariel shaking her hand at, at Brian, and all of a sudden she realizes that she has become her mother. And in that argument, she says, from this point forward, when I get to that place, please call me Sheila. And Brian said, well, and the next time I get there and get too patronizing, please call me Wayne, which is his <laughs> father's name. Susan, that is such a powerful place because it really is, and you have a whole chapter on family and familiar. Um, so this is kind of a blending of both the inner critic that we have to name or understand and know, but also understanding that, that when we step into these places, we're really stepping into the familiar or the family that we came from. Yes. Oh, my goodness, Yes. I mean, so many of us have said, I never want to be like my mother and, or my grandmother or whatever, whoever it was. And then, of course, we find ourselves later being exactly like them or enough like them where we're, where we're shocked when we recognize it. If someone can point out, um, my, my darling younger brother, Andrew, uh, would often, he'd put his armor on my shoulder, he'd put his, he'd put his armor on me and, and say, Susan, or, or I would ask him to do something and he'd just turn to me and say, thanks, Mom, I don't really want to do it that way. And I would, you know, recoil in horror. <laughs> like, what do you mean I'm like Mom? And he said, you're just like Mom, you're trying to control me. And I had to really look at why was I attempting to control people? Like, what was that about? And it was, you know, it was fear, and it was trying to have things my way, and it was trying not to experience any discomfort. It was a lot of things. Um, but again, I want to emphasize that it doesn't mean, you know, and certainly if someone is, is abusive in any way, it's not to be tolerated. Um, but I'm talking about common complaints like how someone else does the dishes or how they leave their clothes on the floor or put them away or wh- whatever it is. Um, and these seemingly little things can become giant things over time. And so we describe in the book how to handle those. We call them telling micro-truths. And it, these are the uncomfortable things that we, some, we often don't want to say. And um, they get swept under the rug. And I give a description of a rug that was so lumpy in my childhood, I couldn't even walk because so many things had been swept under there. Hmm. And that's another common thing. People don't want to hurt people, so they don't say anything. But then they store up resentments and grudges. And we all know what happens when we do that. When you have resentments and grudges, they will all at some point come out. Yes, they will. Yes, they definitely will. <laughs> um, you mentioned a story about clothes on the floor, and, and that's one of the, another story that happens to be in the book. And what was really obvious to me was the issue of perspective, because we all come into a relationship with our own perspective. And in that case, the gentleman putting the clothes on the floor really annoyed uh, and, and became a, a place of irritation for the partner. And it looks more like a job or something else that they had to do. But in fact, for the person putting the clothes on the floor, it was a distinction between what I can wear again and what's dirty, because what was dirty went in the hamper. What was on the floor could be worn again. <laughs> and so, you know, it's interesting, our perspectives, and, and I guess that goes back to those micro-truths that you're talking about, when we really clearly communicate and, and understand each other and take the time to to stay in that place of love and seeing the other as perfect, knowing that everything that's taking place must have another meaning to it, we can be more open 
Um, and flexible yes. and accepting. Yes, and that's that wonderful essay called When a Bird Dates a Fish. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's uh, Darlene, Annie, and Kyle, and they were sharing their... Uh, we loved bringing in people to talk about their relationships um, with their photos and their stories in their words. Um, we, we loved including those in the book. It's, it's so wonderful. And you, you call to mind one of the, the stories that happened with John and I one night. We were getting ready to go out, and uh, I wanted him to compliment me. I thought I looked really pretty. And he was very plain-spoken, sort of logical guy, and he was getting ready to go, so he wasn't noticing me. And I was like sort of jumping around in front of him trying to get me, him to notice my hair or my outfit. <laughs> Nothing was working. And I, I thought, why did I get, why am I with a guy that doesn't compliment me? This was my perspective. You know, like, why am I with a guy who doesn't compliment me? And, you know, I wanted that. Why don't I have that? And, and there he was getting ready. And so I, I asked um what I call my inner wise self, and this is described, everything I'm talking about is described in detail in the book, and as you've said, too, in these awareness practice sheets that we have at the end, and you're guided and led through these, through these processes. But anyway, I asked my inner wise self what I should do, and I, got the, I immediately got the um, direction that I wanted, and I sent John down to the car, and I took myself to the mirror to compliment my appearance and say that, you know, I was just to really love myself and to say, you know, gee, your skin is so soft and your color of your shirt is really pretty and you're so kind and you don't need John to to say that you're beautiful or that you look good. You can do that for yourself. And I did that for myself. And then I came skipping down the stairs and John was at the trunk of the car and I skipped outside and he saw me and he turned and he said, wow, you look great. Mm, mm. That just proves that when we give something to ourselves, only then can the universe or the outside world reflect it back to us. Exactly. And, and, and the point was, too, that I didn't even need that from him at that point. It was nice, but I didn't need him. I, don't, I didn't need him to change and become this complimenting man. You know, he complimented in other ways. He complimented in his own way spontaneously when he wanted to, and he didn't need to be controlled by me. So many men say that they feel like women give them a script. You know, what do you want me to say? And the truth is we need to say to ourselves what we want them to say. Hmm. And that kind of takes me to a passage that you had in here where you say the idea that we're incomplete without a romantic partner that if you haven't found one yet, something is probably wrong with you. And if you're not actively looking, something is really wrong with you. There is a part of us that has a longing or sometimes can, can feel incomplete unless we have someone else. And what you're saying is the more that we are wanting that from the outside, if we will constantly love ourselves and give that back to us and not require it from the outside, then we experience more wholeness, both in ourselves as well as in relationships, yes? Exactly, exactly. I mean, now I'm here, you know, four months after John died, and I am open to love again. And I don't know when and how or if that will ever happen again. Um, And so I am back to all, and and not that I ever left them, but I am resuming and continuing my practices of self-love and being my own soulmate, um, so that 
if and when that love comes, I'm open, but I'm not requiring it. And I think there's a lot more conversation to be had about people being whole and complete by themselves. And that goes for in relationship, too. John and I were both very self-loving while being in love with each other. And that's the opportunity for everyone in relationship. I mean, if you wake up feeling like your partner isn't doing what you want, you are not practicing self-love. Mm. And we have to get out of this idea of finding our other half or the one that's going to complete us. Oh, my God, don't get me started on that. I mean, well, do get me started on that. I mean, it's just outraging to me when people, you know, that whatever that movie was, you complete me. And, and I understand <laughs> it. Of course, it's very seductive. It's such an illusion that someone is going to complete us. You are complete unto yourself. I mean, our longest-term relationship is with ourselves. And if that relationship isn't whole, healthy, and complete, that's what you're missing. You're not missing it from the outside or from someone else. And another, it's really good to remember that love does not come from a person. It comes through a person. It's reflected Mm. through them, not from them. So, you know, Gerald Jampolsky wrote a wonderful book um, called Love is Letting Go of Fear many years ago, and it's still very applicable today. And one of the best quotes from that book applies right now, which is, the arms from which you come to expect love may change, but the love itself will never change. Mm-hmm. Yes, and that, what that really means is the love we have for ourselves will never change. That's powerful. That's very, very powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm going to go back to a, a place that you talked about, and, and that was abusive relationships and knowing when or when not to be in them, and or even being in a relationship where someone oversteps your boundaries. Maybe it's not abusive, but there's boundaries that have been crossed. You have something which you call spar. Now, when I think of spar, I think of a fight. I think of a boxing ring. Mm-hmm. Um, but your, but when but the way you describe spar is a little bit different. Yes, a spar is also something that holds up a sail in a sailboat, um, and the acronym stands for security, privacy, activity, and respect. And those are four, um, you know, really uh, places where we all have boundaries. Um, You know, we all need to feel secure. We all need privacy. We all need to have freedom of inner and outer activities and without someone judging how we're spending our time. Um, And then, of course, we have respect. And we call it um, self-lovingly separate with beautiful boundaries. That was the, the second habit that John introduced to me when we met because I, I really like my autonomy. I'm very independent, and I, was, I really didn't want to be consumed by another person and have them overshadow everything I was doing or have opinions and judgments about everything I was doing. And I was so happy to hear him say, no, we will use beautiful boundaries. And he mm-hmm. taught me a lot, actually, about boundaries, because we often think we're being helpful to our partner. You know, do you really want to eat that? You said you wanted to lose weight. Um, without invitation, that's a boundary. That's crossing a boundary. And people do it all the time thinking that that's what intimacy is. And it actually is a form of control and if not understood, it can really um, undermine the safety in a relationship. Mm, yes. 
that's a really huge point to bring about because people don't really often think about the language that they're using or receiving and what that's really saying to them or doing to them uh, emotionally or um, psychologically. As we're closing out the show, uh, Susan, I'd love for you to just give a quick um, bullet of the six habits of people in succulent wild love so that people understand what they're getting out of the book and and I really do invite the audience to pick up this book, to learn to love yourself more, to learn to open to relationships in being loved, and to find the beauty of succulent wild love so that you can also start creating succulent world love, which hopefully will be another book by Clarence Yes, Clark. I love succulent world love. Um, yes, the, you know, John was so nonviolent. He did not like the term uh, bullet points. And so he invented a new term, which I now offer to you, which is called button points. Ah, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> well, please give us six buttons. <laughs> I know. Yeah. Well, really, the six habits of people in succulent wild love relationships, they, they so number one, they're they're listening to their relationship that, mentor that's inside of them, and I call it the inner wise self, but you could call it higher self, Holy Spirit, um, whatever you want, and they listen to that part and take action. Um, Number two, they use their feelings both as a guide and also to know when relationships are off track, and they they learn how to um, really get cooperation from other people with their feelings. Because, by the way, all feelings can be used to expand intimacy if you do it skillfully. Um, Number three, they recognize inner critics and other negative dialogue in their head, and they don't put this criticism onto their partner or or themselves. Um, Number four, you know, you heard me say self-lovingly separate and beautiful boundaries. So they respect their own boundaries and their partner's boundaries. Um, number five, they create joyful solutions where no one needs to compromise or sacrifice. Those are just incredible. Um, mm. And number six, they, they practice seeing the perfection in their partner and all the other people they're in relationships with. And I would say, too, beyond that, you know, we need to see the perfection in the world, and um, which, again, doesn't mean that we don't do deep and, and abiding work um, to change things in the world. It it just means the inherent perfection is there. I want to thank you, Susan, for being on 1111 Talk Radio. Start Susan Ariel Rainbow Kennedy and Dr. John Waddell are the authors of this beautiful book entitled Succulent Wild Love, Six Powerful Habits for Feeling More Love More Often. Sark is a best-selling author and artist with 16 titles in print and well over 2 million books sold. You can find more at planetsark.com. Within the book are over 175 pieces of Sark original art, and it is a beautiful way to dive into a more intimate sharing with her and with yourself as you look through the journal-like writings, the art, and the inspiration shared by others within this book. I invite you to visit her website, planetsark.com. My guest next week will be Mark Nebo, and we are talking about his next book, and it will be another deep and beautiful conversation. So until then, in love, of love, with love, and as love, I am Simley. Be well. Thank you for opening your mind to a new reality. 
Your heart to greater compassion and your experience of aliveness with 1111 Talk Radio. Join host Simron next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific, 11 a.m. Eastern Time to step through the gateway of conscious living here on the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Remember, you are not on the journey. You are the journey.